Well, today I want us to think about uh, uh, the prophet Elijah. Back before all this uh, pandemic thing started, I had started a series of sermons on Elijah the prophet. Now, Elijah is one of the greatest characters in the Bible. As a matter of fact, when you think about the law, you think of Moses. When you think about the prophets, you think of Elijah. And uh, uh, we're introduced to Elijah in a rather strange way. He, he appeared just on the pages of Scripture without any introduction, without any background. But the king of Israel was a man named Ahab. He was married to one of the most wicked women that ever lived. Her name was Jezebel. She was the daughter of a priest of Baal. And uh, so uh, Ahab and Jezebel had set up idol worship all throughout the land of Israel. And they had made a concerted effort to try to eliminate the worship of the one true God. They had uh, uh, killed many of the prophets, and uh, had it not been for just the, the, the sovereignty and the providence of God, they would have eliminated the worship of God in Israel. But right at that time, there suddenly appeared this prophet named Elijah. And Elijah just comes to the king and just faces him face to face and says, there is not going to be any rain in the land until I say so. And for the next three and a half years, it didn't rain. And a lot of things, God just providentially took care of, uh, of Elijah. He had him go to a place, I guess, shelter in place for uh, uh, a little while. And then, uh, and then he sent him to a widow in Zarephath. And there he uh, was able to, to minister to her and also to heal her son who actually died. And so just some amazing things happened. And then the last message that we had in this was when Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And there the 450 prophets of Baal, they shouted and screamed and prayed and cried for their false God to send fire down from heaven and burn up their sacrifice. And of course nothing happened because he is no God. And then Elijah prayed just a one-sentence prayer and said, Lord, send the fire, and the fire fell, burned up the sacrifice, and then, uh, uh, and then the prophets of Baal were killed, and, and it was an absolutely amazing thing. And then God told uh, Elijah that it's going to rain, and Elijah told Ahab it's going to rain, and, uh, and sure enough, the rain came. And that's kind of where we stop the story. Now you think, boy, this is a high point. My goodness, uh, Elijah has just uh, confronted 450 prophets of Baal. He has been victorious, and they have been destroyed, and, uh, and folks are cheering, and they're excited, they're glad. And then we come to chapter uh, 18, and this is where I want us to, I'm in chapter 19, this is where I want us to read today. It's a rather lengthy passage, but we need to read all of it to get the full context. So Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. So uh, Ahab gets back home and, he's, uh, and Jezebel meets him and she says, what happened today? Tell me what, what, what went on. And he says, well, I hate to tell you, you're not going to like it. She said, well, tell me what happened. Tell me what happened. I said, well, uh, uh, Elijah confronted all your 450 prophets 
uh, and he just kind of spelled out the whole thing and said, Elijah won, and all your prophets are dead. Well, how do you think Jezebel uh, responded to that? Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods, that is little g gods, that is her false gods, so may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So Jezebel sends a message to Ahab, I mean to Elijah, and says, Look, before this time tomorrow, I'm going to have you killed. You're going to, you kill my prophets, I'm going to have you killed. Now you would think that what Elijah would say was, You wicked king, God has judged your false prophets, and now God is going to judge you. Or you might think that he would have said, God has protected me for these three and a half years, fed me and taken care of me and been with me, and he will be with me now. But that is not what Elijah said. And the Bible says, then he was afraid. Now, I could add a little levity here and say that uh, what 450 prophets of Baal couldn't do to terrify Elijah, one wicked woman did. And I don't know whether there's any levity in that or not. It's just the truth, though. It is the truth. And uh, he was afraid. That just boggles my mind. Here, this courageous prophet who has uh, walked with God for three and a half years and probably much longer than that, who has seen God work in such mighty ways, this prophet of God suddenly is terrified. He was afraid. And he arose and he ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he said, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under a broom tree or a juniper tree, and he asked that he might die. And he said, it's enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down, and he slept under that broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank. And he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and he drank. And then he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. And there he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, 
I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And now they seek my life to take it away. And God said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And then after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. I like the way the King James says it, a still, small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said again, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and Killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be the king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mehoah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Now, I know that's a long, long passage of Scripture, and it's an interesting passage because here we see this mighty prophet of God who has stood as such a pinnacle of courage and faith suddenly sink to a pit of depression. And so I want to talk to you today about depression. And I'll base it on this story of Elisha, Elijah, and we'll see some lessons in it that apply to us in this day. This is a time in which a lot of people are very depressed. I talked to a nurse last night that works at one of the hospitals here in Dallas, and she said that the suicide rate and the homicide rate, the gunshot rate, has just multiplied in these stressful times. I heard someone say, I read somewhere this last week, that divorces are at a record high, that divorce lawyers cannot even handle all the requests for divorces that they're experiencing right now. And that uh, the drug use, the alcohol use, it's amazing. People are so discouraged and so depressed. And so I want us to think about depression. I want us to think about its causes. I want us to think about its consequences, and I want us to think about its cure. So what is depression? Well, let me just say that, def- that, uh, that depression, by the way, is not a sin in itself. Many, many of God's great people have experienced depression. Uh, depression, 
rank, it goes from, from just a, a feeling of sadness all the way to a debilitating uh, uh, level in which a person can't even function, and then everything in between. So you've probably felt depressed from time to time. I certainly have. And, uh, and maybe some of you are dealing with depression right now. I want you to know some of God's greatest men dealt with depression. Elijah, right here. God's strong, mighty prophet faced a day when he was down to such a low place that he ran for his life, sat down under a juniper tree, and said, God, I want to die. I'm so depressed. I feel like I am all alone. But not just Elijah, David. Many of the Psalms, you read Psalm uh, 13, 14, 15, all, many of the Psalms, David is just uh, weeping and crying out in a depressed state. Lord, how long, how long must I experience what I'm experiencing? It is a, uh, would you forget me? Lord, are you even, do you care about me? And so uh, David certainly experienced uh, depression. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, he's called, experienced depression. The Apostle Paul talked about being despairing, despairing even of his life at times. And then Jesus himself. Now I know, so that's one, rate, one reason I know that depression itself is not a sin. Depression is a heavy-heartedness that leads us to a place where we can sin or we can cry out to God. And we know with Jesus, he didn't sin, but he certainly, he said, my soul is sorrowful even unto death. And that's what depression is. It is a a feeling of deep sorrow. It's a feeling of deep heaviness in our heart. And Jesus experienced that. Many of the great men of God that I have learned from and, and benefited from, David Brainerd, one of the, he would have, would have been the, grand, the, the son-in-law of Jonathan Edwards. He was a missionary to the American Indians, but he lived a life with so much depression. If you ever have a chance to read his journal, and by the way, that journal of his uh, had such a great impact on many, many uh, young preachers years and centuries ago, and even, even to our day, and it had a great impact on me. But as you read it, you certainly feel the heaviness of heart that he experienced. And uh, he only lived to be 29 years old. And yet he had a great ministry, but also experienced great depression. The man who wrote, it is well, I mean, uh, uh, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, William Cooper. He lived a, he struggled much with depression and uh, uh he ended up needing a, a dear friend to help him. And John Newton, the one who wrote Amazing Grace, took William Cooper into his home and he nurtured him and helped him deal with his depression. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, many times called the Prince of Preachers, struggled with depression. And he went through such a heavy depression after a fire that he had in his church one Sunday and many people actually died in that uh, fire. Uh, he sunk to such a low depression that he was unable to preach. And he had to go into a, a, a hospital, uh, a mental hospital, for about six months. And during that time in that hospital, he, uh, he studied the Psalms. And he wrote 
uh, an amazing, one of the best commentaries on the book of Psalms, a six-volume set called The Treasury of David. But he experienced deep, deep depression. Uh, Tommy Nelson, one of my favorite preachers up here in Denton at Denton Bible Church, uh, a few years ago went through a period of depression that made him unable to preach for a while. Same way with Louis Giglio in Atlanta, Georgia, passion ministry there. But uh, uh, many, many of God's saints have experienced depression. So what causes depression? What are the causes of depression? Well, uh, there are a lot of causes. And, and uh, in fact, let me just mention a book. There's a book that if you're, if you're interested in really, really getting to the depth of understanding depression, how it affects our spirit, there's a book by Martin Lloyd-Jones called Spiritual Depression. It's Causes and Cure. It is the best book. I read many books on depression, but it is the best book on depression that I've, that I've ever read. And uh, so I would encourage you to get that book and read it. So what causes depression? Well, of course, uh, one thing could be just a person's temperament. Some people are more prone to depression than others. The, the melancholy temperament uh, is more prone to depression. The very name melancholy kind of gives us a, uh, a clue there, doesn't it? Whereas your more outgoing, uh, uh, sanguine uh, temperaments, are less inclined to depression, although they do experience depression from time to time. There can be a chemical or a hormonal cause. And, uh, and then, of course, there can be just uh, disappointments in life. When something happens and suddenly you're disappointed. I, just, I think about so many of the high school students right now who are especially the seniors who were so excited about their senior year, looking forward to graduation, looking forward to uh, competing in uh, baseball and, and uh and uh, the, the fall, I mean the spring and summer sports, and all of a sudden all that's taken away, no UIL competition and everything. I can just imagine the disappointment that most of them are facing. That also can lead to depression. And then just loss. Uh, anytime there's a loss in our life, and of course uh, maybe the, the, the most notable is when someone that you love dies and uh and you experience grief, which is uh, uh, depression multiplied. So there, there are a lot, of, a lot of those kinds of causes. But I want us to think about a couple of other causes. The ones that, that I see here in, uh, in Elijah, there can be, a, after you've had a spiritual high, I don't know, have you ever uh, been just on a mountaintop spiritually and then all of a sudden, it's almost like the rug gets pulled out from under you. And that seems like what happened with Elijah. Here he was just amazing, uh, confronting these prophets of Baal. And you would think, man, he is, uh, uh, he is at, at the height of his ministry. And yet in the very next chapter, we find him in the depths of depression. And I think that happens sometimes. After we come off of a spiritual high... I mean, it's not uncommon for a lot of uh, young people and, and adults as well who come back from a, from a summer camp and they come away from camp with this spiritual high. Many times they enter into a time of feeling defeated, discouraged, and depressed. And then, of course, uh, just exhaustion. Uh, Elijah 
had expended all of his energy. He had just uh, had a, an emotional and physical uh, test that wore him out. And sometimes just being physically exhausted can uh, help bring about depression. And then uh, fear. The Bible says that he feared for his life. He was afraid and he ran away. And that also can lead to depression. I think a lot of people right now are afraid. And uh, some are afraid uh, because of the sickness that's being talked about so much. Others are afraid because of the loss of work, the loss of, uh, of their uh, income. And, uh, and then there are a lot of people who are just fearful as to what's going to happen in the future. And fear can lead to uh, uh, depression. And then, of course, a self-focus. This is basically the main cause of depression. When I began to look inward rather than looking upward and even looking outward for the needs around me, when I began to look inward and began to get all self-focused, that is, the I think, probably the main cause of depression. And then, of course, it led with Elijah even to suicidal thoughts. He sat under that tree and said, God, take my life. I don't even want to live. So we can just imagine how depressed he was. And then let's think about the, the potential sinful consequences of uh, depression. One thing it does, it distracts us from God. It just turns us away from the, the protective care, the provisional care. Elijah had seen God take care of him providentially. God had fed him with, by ravens when he was uh, 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 out in the wilderness, hiding by the brook Kidron. He had taken care of him uh, when he was in Zarephath with the widow that was there. He had, had protected him, and then he had been with him as he faced these prophets of Baal. You'd think, uh, uh, surely, Elijah, you know that God is able. And he would have probably even said, I know that God is able. But somehow or another, his depression had distracted him from looking at God. He did not cry out to God for help. He cried to God, but he cried for himself and not in faith to trust God. And then uh, there's withdrawal from, from other people. The Bible says that when Elijah uh, ran away, when he left... It says that he left his servant there. He didn't take anybody with him. Just a little practical thing here. When we're depressed, we want to be alone, but it is the worst thing for us. When I get depressed, I want to be left alone. But God is saying to me, no, you need people. That's when we need other people in our life to encourage us, to exhort us, to, to, uh, to help us. And uh, Christianity was never intended to be a lone ranger Christianity. We need each other. And that's why when you read the New Testament, there's just over and over and over again, you come across this phrase, one another, pray for one another, serve one another, forgive one another, uh, uh, edify, build up one another, exhort one another. We need each other. And uh, when I begin to feel 
myself entering into a depression. There are two things. There's the voice of self that is saying, withdraw. And then there's the voice of God that is saying, gather. Get with people that love you and that you can, that you trust who can help you. So uh, uh, one of the sinful consequences is to withdraw from other people. Say just, I want to be left alone. And then, of course, there's the temptation to self-pity. And uh, some people have even gone so far as to say that depression is little more than self-pity. It is just looking at myself and saying, poor me, poor me. And certainly Elijah did that. And then it's, uh, it gives us a sense of distortion. Uh, Elijah said, I and only I am left. Nobody else loves you, God. Nobody cares about you. I'm the only one that's serving you. And God reminds him a little bit later, listen, I have 7,000 other people in Israel who have not bowed their knee to Baal nor kissed the idols that are required to be worshipped. And so uh, sometimes one, one evidence or one result of uh, depression is that we begin to feel like nobody has ever had it as bad as I have. Nobody's ever felt like I feel. And God is wanting to remind us that that is just not the truth. And then, of course, uh, uh, this didn't happen with Elijah, but for many people, they turn to other ways to kind of self-medicate. Rather than turning to God, they'll turn to alcohol or drugs. Uh, drug use, by the way, opioid use and, uh, and alcohol use is at an all-time high right now. I think it's so sad in many ways that, uh, that uh, businesses have had to close during this uh, uh, pandemic, but alcohol stores have remained open. Uh, it's a sad day, it's a sad thing to me that in our country, abortion clinics and uh, uh, alcohol stores have been left open. And other businesses have had to close. And, uh, but alcohol, drug addiction, all these are, are potential dangers of depression. People get depressed and they, they want to, uh, to take something, drink something that helps them. And then, of course, it leads to a loss of faith. And even a desire to die. So these are some of the dire consequences, potential consequences of depression. So we've talked about the causes of it and then the consequences of it. But here's the best part. What is the cure? What do we need? Well, I think we learned some things here. God told Elijah, uh, get some rest. Two different times. It says he, he lay down and he, he slept. And sometimes especially when exhaustion is leading to some of your depression, one of the best things you can do is just go to bed. Just pull the covers up and get some rest. And he also uh, gave him some good food. So good rest and good nutrition. Now, I'm not sure what was in this food. It was powerful food because he said in the strength of that food, he was able to go 40 days and 40 nights. So I guess it was a... a angel food or something but uh, 
But I think one thing God is say, says to me through this is that when I begin to feel depressed, I need to get some rest. I need to watch what I'm eating. I need to eat good, nutritious food, and I need to uh, take care of myself physically. But then the next thing is hearing God with a quiet heart. Hearing God with a quiet heart. God took him to uh, Horeb, the place where uh, God had done so many things for so many of the people of Israel. And there in that, on that mountain, God said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said his self-defeating, uh, I'm, I'm, they're trying to kill me. I'm the only one left. And God said, stand at the door of this cave. And he showed him all the power of nature. All the things that men would think, you know, oh, this is the power of God. Well, it was the power of God, but it wasn't in that power. It wasn't in the earthquake. It wasn't in the, the whirlwind, the tornado. It wasn't in the fire that God spoke to him. But then the Bible says that God spoke to him in a quiet, still whisper. God spoke to him in a quiet heart. And I found that when I have been depressed, uh, usually when I come out of it, it's because I've gotten alone with God and I've just listened. I've just listened. I haven't whined. I haven't complained. I may have done my share of that from time to time, but that doesn't help me. But when I get alone with God... And I just listen. And I just say, speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. I want to hear from you. And it's in that still, quiet voice that God speaks peace to my heart and encouragement to me. And then God gave to Elijah a renewed sense of purpose. It was like Elijah was saying, God, I'm finished You're finished with me. And God says, no, Elijah, I want you to go. and I want you to anoint a new king for Syria. I want you to anoint a new king for Israel. And I want you to anoint a new prophet to take your place. And it was like God was saying, Elijah, I still have work for you to do. And it's important for us to realize when we begin to feel depressed that that's not God speaking to us. That's our own self speaking to us. And God is saying to us, I still have work for you to do. I have a purpose left for you. And, and this is what he did for Elijah. And then he, and then he reminded Elijah that, uh, that God will judge evil. Sometimes we get depressed because we look about us and we see so much evil. We see so much uh, depressing things. And we just wonder, is God going to let this go? And God said to Elijah, the men that you appoint, those that escape the sword of Hazael, Jehu will take care of. And those that escape the sword of Jehu, Elisha will take care of. In other words, I am going to judge evil and sometimes we read I I read stuff about what's happening in our world our country 
about what's happening in what's called the deep state and the shadow governments and things like that. And if I let myself, I could get scared. But I don't want to let myself get scared. I want these things to cause me to realize that God will judge evil. And then there was a reminder that you're not alone. He said, uh, Elijah, I just want you to know I have 7,000 more that love me just as much as you do. They're just as courageous as you are. They have faith just like you do. And sometimes I think we need to be reminded that God is still working. He's on the throne, not just on the throne of the universe. He's on the throne in our own heart and life. God is working. And uh, he has a plan. And all of the sin and all of Satan and all of the uh, false governments, everything, can never thwart the plan of God. He will accomplish his purposes. That which he has purposed, he will accomplish. And so there's a reminder, you're not alone. There is still, there are other people who love God. You're not by yourself. And then the last thing is to hope in God. Put your hope in him. As David would write the Psalms in which he would start off kind of whining and moaning and saying, Lord, what will I do? I, I, uh, how long am I going to have to suffer? He would conclude those Psalms by saying, I will hope in God. Listen to this Psalm, Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who would stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. This is the ultimate answer is to set the Lord before us and to realize that he is in control. And when we feel like we're in the depths, we cry out to the Lord. And we let him know that our heart is heavy and that our heart is hurting. We also know that if he were to hold all of our sins against us, we wouldn't have a chance. But he doesn't. Praise God. Because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, because we've trusted in Christ for forgiveness, he forgives all of our sins. And therefore, he says, I will wait. I will wait for the Lord. Here's my invitation to you today. I want to invite you to put your trust in Jesus. I know you may say, I've listened to this. It's been kind of a depressing message. Well, it hadn't been intended to be depressing. In fact, just the opposite. It's intended to be hopeful. And we talk about depression because it's real. But the cure to depression is looking and listening 
and loving the Lord, waiting on him and trusting him. And that's what I invite you to do today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you now to help those whose hearts are heavy, whose hearts are fearful, whose hearts are filled with anxiety. I pray that you will help them to cry out to you from the depths of their pain and that they will know that you have a purpose for them and that they will put their hope and their trust in you and in you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.